It's good to see you all today. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Happy Father's Day. All you dads up there, just raise your hands up high. We'll see where you guys at. Thank you, guys. Y'all are wonderful. We appreciate y'all. Good luck at lunch today, not picking up the tab. We'll see how that works, right? Yeah, Father's Day. Hey, yeah, let's go out to eat. Where do you want to go? And you're still going to pay for it. We love Father's Day so much. We're in a series this summer, First Peter. Uh, Being a believer in a non-believing culture, because we now live in a world, whether you realize it or not, uh, where the culture around us is growing increasingly hostile towards people who are followers of Christ. And one of the things we've seen, and kind of of the theme of this whole series going throughout uh, July is simply this, being a believer in a non-believing culture requires, it requires a commitment to Jesus that surpasses any commitment of any person who is not a follower of Christ. So if you're going to be a believer in the culture that we live in, you have to have a commitment to Christ that surpasses everything else. It's just the way that it is. Now, we've seen so far uh, to help us do this in First Peter that we are chosen by God. Being chosen by God gives us confidence, gives us the ability, the assurance that we can live serving our Lord. We see that we have been uh, revealed in suffering, that the persecution that comes, the hostility that comes, discrimination, whatever, it causes a degree of tension, a degree of suffering. And that reveals the, our faith. It shows people we're truly followers of Christ. And, and so today we come to uh, a section of 1 Peter that links back towards uh, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And it brings kind of a link between the two to show something very consistent about God and how he reveals himself to us over the years. And so we see that uh, in 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 16, that we are called to holiness. We are called uh, as people to live a life of holiness. And so we come to verse 13, it says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, then, do not be conformed to the former lust with which you were in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who has called you, then be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior. Because it has been written, you shall be holy, for I am. Am holy, And so the thing today as we come uh, to this message that I want you to see is that as in a culture that is hostile to followers of Christ, do this, okay? Follow how Jesus calls you to live. If you're in a culture that's hostile to Christ, you have to make a choice. You're going to go closer to Christ or further away from Christ. We can't go further away from Christ. So the only option you have is simply this. However it is that Christ has called you to live, do that. Follow how he has called you to live. Yesterday, Debbie was sharing with me something she was reading, that there was a a professor of law at Harvard University, supposedly the preeminent uh, college and university in America, especially its law school. And this law professor said this. He said, pro-life Christians, not just Christians, not that, pro-life Christians. In other words, Christians who believe that the life of a child is important, sacred, that God gives that life, and we should protect that life of an unborn child, that pro-life Christians should be treated as Nazis. Now think about that. We live in the United States of America. We live in a country that fundamentally believes at its very beginning that people ought to be able to express themselves with freedom. Free speech, free assembly, free to worship. And a large part of that worship has been grounded in a Judeo-Christian culture, including Harvard University, which came out of a Christian culture. And all of a sudden we have people say that if you are a follower of Christ, that you follow of Christ, you should be treated then as if you are a Nazi. Uh, and, and, And so you think about this. We now live in a culture where there is a lot of pressure 
uh, put upon people who want to follow Jesus. Uh, in the earlier service, which is a traditional service, and tends to be a little bit older crowd, obviously, and uh, you know, they, they've grown up, and it's really hard for them to imagine, I think. It's hard for me to really realize that I now live in a world that that kind of pressure is put on me as a follower of Jesus, that people, people are actually beginning in America to, to, in essence, persecute, to be hostile towards us, not to the point of death. Not all persecution is about death. It could be discrimination. It could be uh, somehow economic. It, it's just a desire to get you to change what you do and what you believe. And we live in that world now. And here's the thing. It's not going to change. That culture is never going back to what things once were. You can elect whoever you want to elect. You can do all the protesting you want. Our culture in America is going to go more hostile and more hostile towards people who follow Christ. At least segments of it are. And Peter was used to that. That's, you know, First Peter is great because that's the world he lived in. He understood that. He recognized this as being part of what life was all about. Even Jesus. In Matthew 5, verse 10, 11, and 12, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are persecuted. Because you're going to be persecuted for my sake. Great is your reward in heaven. That's how they did it to the prophets who came before you. In, in, in Matthew chapter 5, later on, in verse 43, 43 and 44, he said, Love your enemies, pray for the people that persecute you, because that's what's going to happen. You're going to be persecuted. And so Peter could write about this. Peter had an authenticity about him. He had an authority. He knew Jesus better than anybody. I mean, he, not only did he hang with Jesus, he was Jesus' right-hand man, okay? So he, when he writes, he writes with authority, but there's an authenticity about him because he's experienced. He saw James, the brother of John, one of the apostles, Right off the bat, as soon as Jesus ascended, early in Christianity, James was put to death. He saw Stephen put to death. He's seen a lot of people who were followers of Christ who he was close to suffer and be persecuted. So he knew this was a reality. And he himself uh, had a price tag on his head. They sought to put Peter to death. He's writing about 64, right before 64 um, AD. In 64 AD, the Emperor Nero decides to begin a systematic, statewide-sponsored persecution of Christians. Peter would die in his persecution, so would Paul. It doesn't mean that there hadn't been persecution before, because there had, but not to the extent that Neil would bring upon it. And so Peter just writes. And, and when we see him writing, so far he said, hey, listen, starts off by saying, you're chosen by God. You know, you, you're a follower of Christ. You're chosen by God. You, you were, you know, the, the, according to the, the, the pre-knowledge of the Father, you were sanctified by the Spirit. You've been saved by the blood of Christ. He said in verse 3, You've been born again to a living hope, a living hope that is yours because of the resurrection of Christ. And so you know that persecution reveals who you are. And so he says, therefore, in light of these things, in verse 13, in light of all these things. Now, here's, here's part of the deal. There are certain things that uh, Peter makes an assumption that these followers of Christ believe. There are certain truths that are kind of eternal that are, that are there for us. And if you're not a follower of Christ, then you don't have to believe these things. It's not expected, but, but you're a Christian. If you back then were a disciple, these are things you understood. You believed in the second coming of Christ. You believed that Jesus was going to return. He told you he was going to return. He told Peter, Matthew 24, right before you know, the week of his death, in the sermon uh, discourse on the Mount of Olivet, he said, hey, guys, I'm going to come back. I'm leaving, but I'll come back. In John 14, he says, I'm going to return. Acts 11, he ascends into heaven, and the apostles are just looking. And an angel comes and says, what are you staring at? Jesus, who ascended, he's going to come back just the way he left. So they believed in the second coming of Christ. They also believed that God is a holy God. That holiness is a central characteristic of who God is. For Isaiah 6 says, uh, Isaiah in his call experience, he experienced the angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, his holiness. And so the holiness of God and the second coming of Christ are understood. 
And so Peter has two absolute commands. When you read verse 13 through 16 in English, it looks like it's a series of commands, but they're, they're, they're all based on two things that he says. The first command, he says, is this, fix your hope. Fix your hope. Therefore, fix your hope completely on the grace that is brought to you in the revelation of Jesus. Now, fix your hope is an imperative in the Greek, a command. The idea of hope is not wishful thinking. See, to us, hope is wishful thinking. If you watch a baseball game this afternoon, you know, your team may be playing. I watch the Rangers. I hope they win. You know, it's wishful thinking. You go out to lunch. You guys are thinking, I hope someone else picks up the tab for a change. Wishful thinking. If they do, it's your credit card. What difference does it make? Okay? I'm still bitter about this. It's not because I'm bitter. It's just reality. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you this how it is. You wish for certain things to happen. That's not what hope is. Hope is a confident expectation based on previous events for the Christian. So because Jesus came into this world, and when Jesus came into this world, he told you, he told us, he told his followers, I'm going to die and come back to life. He said that in different ways. He said that. You know what he did? He did it. So because Jesus died and came back to life, Jesus also said, I'm going to come again. So because of the hope in the coming of Christ, in his second coming, which he gave us in his first coming, We have a confident expectation. In fact, that's why verse 3 says, you have been born again, born anew. You Gentile, primarily Gentile Christians, came from a pagan background. You've been born anew into a living hope. A hope that lives. So in the midst of all of this stuff happening to you, all this garbage, you have the confident expectation that Christ is coming again. And that's important because if all I have was just the past, it might be a little different. If all I okay, I'm saved But what good does that do me to the future? Well, we have the assurance of Jesus. He's coming back. Now, even though we will all probably die before he comes again, because that's been the history, we still have a confident expectation of what goes beyond death. Christ is going to come again. We'll be raised back to life. That's all part of what we're taught. But even beyond that, Jesus said back again, Matthew 5, 12, if you're persecuted, don't worry. Heaven waits for you. We have a relationship with God that is eternal. That's our hope. It's based on what Christ did. It's the confidence of the future. So no matter what happens in this life, no matter how bad and nasty it gets, no matter how much hostility I feel, I can keep living for Jesus knowing what's out there. So he says, fix your hope completely. The word completely means perfectly, finally. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Same Greek word, it means to be complete. To have a sense of finality. Our hope is final. And the grace of the one who's been revealed. Several times Peter writes about Jesus being revealed, the revelation of Jesus. That's the second coming. That's what it means. He's coming. It's the grace that saves you. It's the grace that Jesus returns with. It's not something you earn or you deserve. It is what is yours by his grace. So he says, prepare your mind for action and be sober. See, too often we have this idea that when bad things happen to us as Christians, we just are victims and we just got to take it and get beat up on. It's the opposite. There's an aggressiveness. Be prepared. Prepare your mind. Your mind is that intellectual. Be sober means be self-controlled. It's the opposite of being drunk. Be self-controlled. In other words, he says, when it comes, be ready for it. Because you're still expected to live as a follower of Christ. But that hasn't changed. Followers of Christ, we honor God. We love God. We honor him. We love people. We reach them for Jesus. None of that changes. But the middle of all the hostility that we're going to start facing, we have a hope that we're fixed upon. 
Here's the thing. Hope is a unique Christian characteristic missing from every other faith in philosophy. They don't have it. Now, you may hear some talk about hope. Someone who's a Buddhist may hope that they achieve enlightenment, but it's just wishful thinking. A person who is Hindu in nature, they may hope that in the next life to come, they come back in you know, a higher form of a class system. You know, they're not, obviously, but they're just wishful thinking. A Muslim may hope or wish that God lets him into paradise, but they don't know. And outside of Christianity, outside of Christ, nobody knows. But we do. We have this unbelievable blessed hope. The hope of Jesus. No matter what happens, it's secure. Because of this, in verse 14 he says, as obedient children, he uses a concept that I realize in some of your homes is foreign, but it's the idea that children obey their parents, okay? Technically, that's how it's supposed to work. I don't know if it's working in your homes. From what I've seen for a few of you, that's wishful thinking also. But in a sense of obedience, just what he says, do not conform to your former lusts, which were yours, in your ignorance, that is, of Christ. The word conform means to be fashioned into. Paul uses it when he writes to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't go back. Peace what Peter's saying. You used to live in your former way, your former lust. And lust in and of itself isn't bad, but it, it was connected to their pagan ways. You were Gentiles, you become followers of Christ primarily. In your pagan ways, don't because of the pressure you feel, the hostility, the harassment, because of that, don't go back to your old ways with which you lived in ignorance. Because now you know the truth. You're not ignorant anymore. You know what's real. Don't go back to that. Last summer, I preached and taught through Hebrews. Hebrews, similar theme to some degree as First Peter, about a similar time, but whoever wrote it was writing to primarily Jewish Christians or Jews who were thinking about becoming fathers of Christ who were feeling persecution. And he said their temptation was to leave the faith to go back to Judaism, and the offices don't do that. In every way, Christ is not only superior to the Old Testament law and the Judaism, he completely fulfills it. It's no longer needed. It's obsolete. That's why in Hebrews 8.13 it says that old covenant, it's obsolete. It's useless. It doesn't work anymore. Christ, Christ blew all that out of the water. So now Peter is saying the same thing. Basically he's saying, you've come to Christ. You're no longer ignorant. You know what's true. Don't go back to your former ways. That's what the pressure was for. That's what, that's what they were trying to pressure them to do. So here's the thing. In the middle of a hostile culture is the demand that we abandon following Jesus. That's all they really wants. All the hostile culture really wants from you is that you just stop following Jesus the way he wants you to. That's it. Just stop doing that stuff. That's what the expectation was. So shortly after Paul, Peter writes this, he'll write 2 Peter also. Nero begins his persecution. Peter will have the opportunity to renounce Christ, and he won't. And so, most likely, he was crucified because of that. Paul will also have the opportunity to renounce his faith. He won't do that, and he was most likely beheaded because of that. And so, a way of life for Christians in that day and age was persecution. Give up Christ or face the consequences. In 156, some say 155, but 155, 156 AD, there was a guy named Polycarp. He was the bishop of Smyrna. He was connected to John, the, father, uh, the apostle of Christ. 
And uh, he was an old man taken out to be burned at the stake for his faith. Now, the guy who was his jailer, who was the one watching over him to carry out his sentence, has gotten close to Polycarp, and he said this to him. What they wanted him to do was to burn incense to the emperor. In other words, to worship the emperor by burning incense. They didn't care about anything else. Just burn incense to the emperor. He wouldn't do it. You can't do that. You're a follower of Christ. And so the guy said, look, you don't have to mean it. Just burn the incense. You're a good old man. Everybody likes you. Everybody liked Polycarp. All the Roman soldiers liked Polycarp. Nobody expects you to mean it. Just burn it. Lie about it. Pretend. And Polycarp said no, so they put him at the stake. And he said something to the effect, depending on what account you read. He said, for 86 years, the Lord's been faithful to me. I cannot be unfaithful to him and blaspheme his name. They wanted him to abandon Christ. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. That's what pressure is. That's what hostility, discrimination, all that is, is to get us to abandon Christ. And we can't do that. Because here's the thing. Realize this. Understand this. The world doesn't care if you're a Christian. They just don't want you to follow Jesus. They don't want you to follow Christ. They don't care if you're a Christian. Two weeks ago, I began the series saying about 70% of Americans identify as Christians. But that doesn't mean they follow Christ. Anybody can say, here are my choices. Okay, I'll be a Christian. I mean, they probably believe in God. They probably believe in Jesus. That's not the issue. They pray, have a Bible. Nobody cares about that. But are you truly going to follow Christ? So there's lots of people who, here's what they'll say. They'll say, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I know at Christmas, you know, I celebrate Christmas, but I don't really believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. I don't believe that he's God in the flesh. I don't believe that. I know we celebrate Easter and the resurrection, but I don't really believe, I believe he died. He may have died for us, but I don't believe God raised him from the dead, at least not physically. And I certainly don't believe that Jesus is the only way there is. I think there's a lot of different ways to get to God. So I'm a Christian by identity, but here's the thing. They don't really follow Christ. The world doesn't care about them. They're no threat. The world cares about people who say, no, I believe that Jesus is the only way to God. That he was born of a virgin. He was born as God in the flesh. Fully God, fully man, that he died for our sins, took our sins upon him, and that God raised him back to life. He's with heaven now. He'll return again. I believe in that Jesus. That is the hope where I have placed my faith. That kind of follower of Christ, they don't like. And they receive the hostility. In the midst of whatever you're facing, college, work, home, wherever, Fix your hope on Jesus. Fix your hope, your assurance on the one who saved you. That's what first command of Peter is. Here's the second one he gives us. And he says, be holy yourself in all your behavior. Holiness is a condition. Back in chapter, I mean back in verse 1 and 2, when it says we were chosen, it said by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Sanctifying holiness, same basic work. It says, we have been sanctified. We have been set aside as holy. Live that way. Now, what does that mean? Well, in verse 16, Peter writes, it is written in Scripture, be holy for I am holy. So he's kind of quoting God. If you go back to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 11.44 and Leviticus 19.2, God says to the people of Israel, I want you to be holy for I am holy. You're going into a pagan world. You're going to a pagan land. In the pagan worship, they worship many gods, there was a lot of just grotesque sexual morality and practices, and they sacrificed their children uh, to, their, to their gods. It was just a wholly corrupt way of life. God says, I want you to be separate from that world. You see, holiness has to do with separation. God is holy. 
The central characteristic of God is he is holy. God is loving, yes. God is just, yes. God is, is merciful, yes. God is knowing, yes. God is present. He is all those things. All of those stem from his holiness. To be holy means to be cut out, separated. And so God is separated from his creation. He is different. He is not connected to us in the sense that he's a part of us. He loves us. He interacts with us. We are to be connected to him in faith. But he is separate and distinct. A lot of religions out there, and you come across it, are what we call pantheistic, animistic. But pantheistic means that they believe God is in everything. So every person has part of the divine. We are created in God's image, but we don't have God's divine spark within us. That's not Christian. That's not a Christian belief. They believe animals have the divine part of God. Even you know, trees and, and living things, flowers, have some aspect of the divine. God is not that way. He is separated out. In fact, what, what it means to be holy, it means to not be common and not be profane. We live in a time and a culture where we within Christianity, we, we tend to make God common. And I've preached about this before, and, and you've probably heard me say some things about that. But one of the things that really strikes me as odd and really bothers me is when people say, we want to make God, we want to make Jesus famous. I, when I hear, I hear that, I'm just like, oh my goodness. God is not a contestant. Jesus is not a contestant on a reality TV show. Jesus is not... One, you know, you know, he's not the type that takes selfies of himself and posts it everywhere so you can see him doing his licks like he's a duck or something. It's not, it's not Jesus. He's already famous, by the way. But that famous has nothing to do with it. He is not common. He is holy and separate and distinct. In the midst of difficult times, we recognize the holiness of God. So here's what Peter says. You need to be holy like the holy one who has called you. See, the Holy One, the Lord has called us. Back when we we read in verse 1, you were chosen by God, he calls. In verse 3, when he says, you've been born again into a living hope on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it means he has called us. God has called us. What has God called us to do? To live in relationship with him. We have the blessed hope. Now live the life that goes with it, a life of holy behavior. It's not self-righteousness. It's not, you know, I'm holy because of all that I have done or look at me. It's not, listen, I go to church, and I teach Sunday school, and I give money, and I've been baptized, and I do all these good things, and there's something about me that God really likes. In fact, let me say this. One thing about hostility, it does this. A hostile culture removes a Christian self-righteousness. Do you know that? Because people who are self-righteous, they're not going to stay in it for long. They're going to abandon what it means to follow Christ. They're not going to deal with the pressure. But when you realize that what your holiness, that call to be separate, does not come from within, but comes from God separating you out in your life, all that self-righteousness, all that God, look what I have done, that leaves quickly. And all you want to do is trust God to help you in life. You want to live your life dependent totally on God through faith in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, sanctified us from the beginning. Here's the thing. Holiness is living a life that conforms to the call of Jesus upon our life. To be holy means in a world that pressures us, we seek to do two things above all else. First is to honor God. God, I'm feeling discriminated against. God, when I go to to class at the university, you know, the, the, the professor tends to mock me. People make fun of me. At work, I'm the only one, even in my family, everybody else, you know, God, is this kind of out there in the world. They look at me living the Christian life, my friends. And God, I feel this pressure, but because you've called me to be holy, this is what I want to do. I want to honor you in my life. How do I do that? 
I want to honor you, God. That's what matters. It's, it's, that, it's that sense of, God, I have this unbelievable hope in you because of my faith in Jesus. So how do I help people who are persecuting me? How do I help people who are mocking me? How do I help them come in contact with Jesus Christ? I don't know if they'll be saved, but how do I, just, how do I help them come in contact with Jesus? God, I want to live that life. I want to live that life no matter what happens. People at least see in me that I live faithfully to Christ. How do I do that, God? Because that's the world we're living in. That's the culture we're moving into. One that where we're going to have to be set apart from a hostile environment. From law professors teaching their students that Christians, pro-life Christians, faithful followers of Christ should be treated like Nazis. From that world, from a culture where a guy who owns a cake shop is being persecuted by the government because he won't violate his Christian beliefs. We're living in that world. So how are you going to do that? You think about Peter. You would have, you would have said, who is Peter to do that? I mean, think, here's Peter's a guy. He's writing this. <clears throat> Decades earlier, Peter, he was just a fisherman. And you know fishermen, don't you? And you guys fishermen? You know what happens when you're fishing, right? That ain't church time out there fishing, right? Fishermen back then, they were just sailors. You know what sailors, and you all know what we're talking about. And there's old Peter. And around Galilee, there was Jesus, and he heard, he heard about Jesus, probably saw him a little bit, was following him a little bit, hear some messages, interested in Jesus. And one day, Jesus walks up, and Peter's just come back from fishing. And Jesus said, drop all your nets, you guys. And Peter, you guys, follow me. Peter, Andrew, James, John, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter left. Followed Jesus. Didn't know. He just they had no idea what he was getting into. One day, Jesus is teaching. He says, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter says, God, I'm flesh and blood, didn't reveal this to you, but God. And now Peter, uh, Simon, now you're Peter. You're the rock. You're the rock, Peter. And a few verses later, you know what Jesus says? When Peter contradicts Jesus about having to die, Peter, Jesus looks at Peter and said, now you're Satan. Get behind me, Satan. He went from being the rock to Satan in a few verses. That's Peter. I mean, they're, they're, they're in the upper room just hours before Jesus' death, and he's saying, you guys are going to abandon me. And Peter says, I don't these guys may. I'm never going to abandon Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter and said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, brother. Three times tonight you'll deny me. He says, I'll never do that. A few hours later, Jesus is at the home of the high priest. And people come up to Peter and say, aren't you one of his? He says, nope, that's not me. Someone says, aren't you a follower of Jim? No. And then as Peter, as Jesus is walking on the porch of the high priest, he looks down in the courtyard and there's Peter. And one last time, they look at Peter and he says, you're one of them. And Peter goes back to his old fisherman days and he lets out a slew of curse words and says, no, I'm not. And when he does that, he looks up and Jesus is looking right at Peter. He says, Peter just wept. And left. And 50 days later, Peter's in Jerusalem, and there are, Christ has already gone to heaven. And the Holy Spirit comes, and all heaven breaks loose. And that same Peter who did all that stuff preaches one of the great messages that have ever been preached. 3,000 people are saved, and Christianity changes that day. And that man becomes the leader of the faith. He stands before a group of Jews who put Jesus to death and says, you killed him. 
God raised him from the dead. And they said, you quit saying that. He said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to obey you. I obey God. And a short time later, there was a death warrant out for Peter. Decades later, he writes this letter. The man who led the early Christian movement, who was seeing John uh, be persecuted, saw James, the brother of John, die, saw Stephen die, know that James, the brother of Jesus, has just recently died, know that Paul is fleeing just like Paul's in prison at this point, and Paul, like him, will probably be put to death. And here's what Peter says. In the midst of all of this, here's what I want you to know, based on all my experience, fix your hope on Jesus and live a holy life. That's what he calls you to do. You are a follower of Christ now in a culture that's never going back to the way it was. Sorry, ain't going to happen. And the hostility towards you as a follower of Jesus is going to increase and not decrease. Some of you know that. And so maybe today, we have a time of invitation. You're facing that. You're struggling with hostility. You're facing that pressure. Maybe you just want to come and pray with someone. I mean, a guy, you can pray with one of us. Or if you want to pray, gals with one of the ladies. And you just want to come and pray and say, I am feeling that pressure. Pray with me that I can live a life that honors God. That I can live that holy life. Pray with me that I can fix my hope on Jesus. That I can, I can be confident in his coming. That I trust him enough. That I can even tell people about him in the midst of all this pressure. If you want us to pray for you, we'll pray with you. You can pray where you're at. Just fine. Maybe you're that, you're that Christian who's kind of relied on yourself a lot, and now it's getting, it's getting crunch time, and it's time to separate it out, and you're feeling that pressure, and you don't know what to do, and you say, I need to really commit. Because to be a believer in a non-believing culture requires a commitment that surpasses all others. And you need to say, I need today just to commit. I'm all in. Jesus, I'm all in. No matter what happens, I'm going to live a holy life. I'm fixing my hope. I'm all in. And so today you just want to renew that relationship with Jesus. You can do that where you are. Come talk to one of us. And if you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, I have a wonderful invitation for you that comes from the Lord. Join a group of believers who are about to feel the hostility of a culture that doesn't believe. Give your life to Christ and come and be part of those who feel the pressure of faith. Give your life to Jesus. Fix your hope upon him. Because he has called you to be saved. If you don't want to come forward today, listen, there'll be somebody after the service. There's a little table out there. Someone will be out there. You can just email us or whatever. But give your life to Jesus because here's the thing I can promise you. It's not going to get better. The days when we as American Christians, when we've lived the last 200 years, and we have lived free of all persecution, those days are gone. And Peter, who knows better than anyone, says this. Fix your hope on Jesus and be holy because he's holy. Father, we thank you for these words that speak truth to us because we need truth because it's getting difficult. And I'll be honest with you, I never thought this was going to happen. So how do we live in this culture? Peter tells us. So thank you for that. Help, Help us, Lord, gravitate to that truth. I know there are people who need to give their life to you, and I pray that they will. But I also know there are people who have already given their life to you, Father, and and they're facing tough times, and it's tough. I have people tell me all the time how tough it is at school, tough it is at work, tough it is at home. So, Father, I know it's hard for them, so help them at this time. 
fix their hope on you and commit themselves to being holy because you're holy. You've called us to that. Let us completely and totally trust you with our life at a time when it's tough to be a follower of Christ. Let us completely follow him. And in his name I pray, amen. Would you stand? We'll be at the front to greet you if you come. Would you come?